I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured on Celluloid. This week, we are going to talk about Academy Award-nominated Minari, the film written, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, that I think for a lot of people, they've... Well, maybe this is overstating. A lot of people who are really into movies... Um, they have likely been hearing about this film for quite some time, and it was still is being distributed by A24. They were very much holding it back. They've been avoiding digital releases during the course of the pandemic. But when you've got a film that gets itself right into the heat of awards conversation, I guess that's the point where it's better to get the, the movie out in the world. So I feel like it's somewhere around a month six weeks ago maybe that this became available in the u.s maybe even shorter than that for actually going widely available which at this moment means available uh digitally and it's even it's even less it's about 10 days since it officially became available here uh i'd seen it a couple times before through festivals and things like that but this is a, one of the big movies of the next 10 days or so, as we already flagged up on our last episode. Our next episode will see us take a whistle-stop tour through the Oscar nominations, talk about a whole bunch of these movies, and this is one of the big ones that will come up. So, I mean, first of all, Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well, Adam. I'm in, in the midst of an unusual state of productivity when it comes to watching movies. I'm doing my homework. I'm doing the work for the Oscars and for 2020. I'm caught up uh, on all of the Oscar Best Picture nominees. I need to work through some acting categories and some technical categories. I obviously need to do the shorts and the animated films might become an issue, but I'm making progress and it feels good. Momentary blip yesterday and today due to errands and work responsibilities, but tomorrow I get back after it and I crank through some movies. I do actually need to take my medicine in some cases and watch things like Hillbilly Elegy. No, um, you don't. You don't. I'm going to do it. I'm, I need to watch Glenn Close. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, you want to is the thing. You don't want to. You're putting it off, but at the same time, you want to watch it. I want to performatively give it a horrible review on Letterboxd and just like right. really hammer it. And okay. you know, JD Vance has been really active on Twitter planning some sort of run in politics. And uh, oh, I, really? I, yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I just want to yes. hate him even further. But that's beside the point. In this fit of productivity, Minari was one of the films that I watched to prepare for this podcast, and it was a standout among them. So when we get into moments where we're talking about lists, it, it will be in the mix and in the conversation. Also, one thing I want to note is that you mentioned it has been released digitally here for a short window of time. Uh, it's uh, $20 on Amazon Prime, but don't let that deter you from watching it because... Uh, that's what you'd spend in a theater anyway on the popcorn and the drinks and, you know, make popcorn at home. A bag of kernels is like five bucks. It's it's fine. You can make. Is it really? I, I actually. What's don't... going on in America? It's... Or do you just not know the price of a bag of kernels? It's here? one bag of kernels, Adam. <laughs> what could it be? Ten dollars. Should uh... Stephen Young have got into, you know, the, the popped corn business? Does, do you reckon that came later? Um, yes, I think uh, Nebraska would have been a better area 
to move to if he was going to go into the corn business. Although growing up in rural North Carolina across the street from a farm that was operated by my uncle, he did grow corn. So also could have come to North Carolina. Nevertheless, uh, though it's been released digitally for a limited window here and it's it's pricey, I did notice it is playing at a local theater around here. Yeah, it is in theaters. It was in theaters first by a couple of weeks. But I am only halfway through my spicy arm juice cycle. Uh, once I get number two, maybe I'll go see a film in a theater and I'll pour out some whiskey on the ground. For Adam until he can join me one day he and I will lock arms and walk into a cinema together in in Dublin and it will be beautiful and magical but nevertheless Minari is available in America don't let the price deter you uh if you've gotten both shots and want to rent out a theater also go see it that way yeah that's always an option I mean you you will be going because I will make you go. If I can't go, you're gonna have to go on on my behalf. You're gonna have to become our actual movie going host. Uh, I I can I can manage. Okay, I, in, in your honor, See, scouts. You know, honor. I don't know if this this productivity was just you know talk was working against you. The Oscars are there, and are, 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 should I read into this process in terms of psychoanalyzing my good friend Andrew Snyder and how he you know, works his way through a list of tasks, maybe? I do like due dates. Okay. That being said, this is possibly me turning over a new leaf. And okay. The environment that I, I live in, or not that I live in, the virtual environments of messaging about films between you and also my brother are pushing me into more productivity. And this is, this is an only suffocating. Is this to, to have so much communication that is just bullying you into watching movies that you haven't watched? No, because I mean, I think it's making me a more well-rounded person. If you could go into bars, I would be the pretentious guy telling you about the Romanian hospital corruption movie he watched over the weekend and also the danish movie about alcohol i would really come to the table when with... you put it when you put it like that it's real progress that like you have seen collective and another round that's that's real real progress from where we were not so long ago so kudos to you andrew and all of our listeners are only going to benefit in the weeks ahead so to really kind of zero in now on minari did you you liked this movie. This was one of the standouts to you, but what was your, I think more than just calling it one of the standouts, it's, it's obviously a very kind of just polished, ultra polished, well made movie kind of across the board in terms of performances, in terms of craft. But I think the, the kind of terms to talk about this film mostly are going to be more emotional terms. So did you like it? Like, did it really land with you emotionally? Yeah, I'd say that's primarily why it stood out among other things. I, I mean, there there might be come up when we do our list a movie that I think is technically slightly more well-made or maybe more entertaining, but I think this one landed with me emotionally more than some of them. And I think the reason for that is it, it ties a lot of components into one that I like in film. There's an innocence there as we get the story told through the eyes of Alan Kim, who plays um, David, who's the, the, the young, young son in the family and is 
experiencing all the things you do when you're a little kid and you're growing up in a world you're unfamiliar with, uh, with parents that might be fighting and a grandmother you've never met. Like there's a lot going on and the innocence through his eyes and just also how charming and funny Alan Kim is as an actor has that really warm presence that carries you through the movie. But it also provides you a nice dose of realism about how the American dream uh, is sometimes very difficult to achieve because of some of the barriers put in place for people to be successful in industries like farming in this case. So I think there's a emotional center and a warmness and a happiness in some areas, but there's also that grounded realism and a sense of desperation and that things aren't always perfect and that sometimes we get pushed to our breaking point and how we respond will define the some certain stages of our lives. So there's a, some heaviness going on and there's also just something that's really watchable and enjoyable when you're see, seeing how this precocious and shy little kid kind of navigates the, the world of the Ozarks. I just thought it was really, uh, I don't know, it just really landed with me. The Ozarks? Is this the Ozarks? Arkansas? Is that? Uh, I believe so. Is that where the Ark in Ozark comes from? <laughs> I would just never have put those two things together. I've seen the show Ozark is basically my... Well, I've seen some of the show. Ozark. Maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. Did I... I thought I read the word Ozarks earlier well, when I was... This is, this is in Arkansas. Which, when you said, okay, this is now I'm possibly really highlighting my geographical ignorance. When you said, like, oh, if you wanted to grow corn, you could have gone to Nebraska. Is Nebraska near Arkansas? Uh, kind of. Okay, so the Ozarks, south central United States, extending southwestward from St. Louis, Missouri to the Arkansas River. Oh, okay. All right, so you were right. I shouldn't have doubted you. It's okay. You should no one's doubted doubt. you more than yourself in this case, though. I've, Andrew has broken out into a full sweat here, uh, being pressed on on this one. Listen, but okay, therapy has made me much more confident. <laughs> um, basically, the story is of a Korean immigrant family who, in the early eighties, um, decide to move from California and. I guess from the kind of the world that would be much more familiar for immigrant stories in American cinema, um, particularly California, you know, it's, it's something that even in terms of documentary, I think is much kind of more well-tread territory than where they moved to, which is rural Arkansas may or may not be in the Ozarks, certainly close to the Ozarks, it seems, um, where, the father of the family, the patriarchal figure, is set on, I guess, building a kind of idyllic home and life, real pursuit of the American dream. We're gonna live on this piece of land, and we're gonna we're gonna live off of the land. The land is gonna work for us. We're gonna produce food, and even branching further beyond that, has this idea that for all it may be in keeping with the American dream is very closely tied and feeding off of quite literally um, their Korean heritage, because it's the idea of, okay, why don't we use this land and we can, we, why don't we grow Korean vegetables? We can grow Korean herbs. We could service these kind of shops in 
big cities um, nearby where there may be larger hubs of other immigrants, other Koreans in this case. And with that, it, it does something that's really... It does a few things just kind of structurally that are interesting. One is the magnetic center of the film is Alan Kim's character. And setting all of this mostly through a child's eye, through David's eyes, is, you know, very beneficial for the movie overall, I think. I think it gives it sometimes a sense of wonder, a sense of innocence. And it lets you in on some of the struggles that are obviously there um, with the parents without necessarily having that way on the movie from the opening frame to the final frame. Like, it, it's able to choose its moments to really amplify just how difficult this is, how difficult, basically, the hand these people have been dealt in trying to make a life successfully in this place is. But it also, it kind of manages to explore this sense of searching for community, and in this case, being somewhere where there, there just, there is no community. There is no community that is familiar to you really that you could be a part of the closest they get is the people they they work with at the like i don't know the actual term for that at the chicken processing place where they they check the sex of the chicks to see which get just like flamed up and which get you know processed to later get flamed up will that be the way of putting it yeah the term what that they had in wikipedia and they said was sexing chicks which okay. it sounds like something you'd hear in sounds Entourage. Different. But uh... yeah. <laughs> um but it's it's pretty rich without there's a lot of stuff that it could delve further into and it manages to avoid getting lost into it manages to keep the hub of it as a family story, which I think is a big part of why it worked, why it's got a really positive and wider response. One thing, for example, that I thought of, again, this is not my area of expertise, so I don't know if I'm going to send you scrambling, but we're in relatively close proximity to the Korean War here, right? Um, was it... You know what? I'm going to get there. Um, I thought the Korean War was in the 50s. Is that wrong? Yeah, you're right. I'm way off. But one of the details I was going to draw... Um, or draw attention to with that is Will Patton's character, Paul, who was a Korean War veteran. And it's just kind of... It's dropped in there relatively subtly. There is the scene where he gives David some money that he had. And... It's an interesting nod to just the... I guess some of the, the lingering feelings that would still be there in the zeitgeist I mean if we think of it now like we're 20 years on from 9-11 so you're talking roughly 30 years removed like and there's no shortage of evidence of how ill feeling and discrimination can kind of fester against minorities now that's that's made life difficult for minorities in the aftermath of 9-11 there's a whole kind of I one of the things I like about the decisions the Isaac Chung makes in Minari is that 
there are so many ways this movie could fully get lost down very different rabbit holes. Race, generally, and racism. Like, it's there. We, It's kind of, we understand, we can feel the world, and we, we know everything that's working against them without having multiple scenes that make this a completely different movie. And I'm really interested just in the balancing act of that. How did you feel all of that came across? Where this is so rich with so many things that are tied directly to American history and then even more to obviously the immigrant experience in America in that time, in this time, without really ever losing focus of just the family at the core of this story. And the thing that maybe does make it most relatable for audiences who are far removed from those other elements. Yeah, I think it... It, dev- it definitely never loses the family as the hub and their relationships and success or failures being what you're most keyed in on. But there are those subtle moments that do. I, I think things like Will Patton's character or something like the kids at the church or the kids yeah, that they they're... become. Fr- Go ahead. No, no. All I was going to say is that's the. I think that's a decision I admire because even as an audience member, it it allows you to take in the general attitude without it coming in a much darker and heavier way. Um, perhaps say with the kid who David becomes friends with his father, like another movie would as much as he is not like there's nothing implying he's a good guy, another movie would have that character be a very different character, bring really different conflict, and it just kind of loses itself. And I'm just impressed by what I guess is the subtlety of it, that all of the ideas are there and any viewer who's remotely tuned in is going to pick up on all of those things that were true then and are true now for, for immigrants, not just in America, but in lots of countries around the world. But you're never, you're never bludgeoned over the head with it. It allows you to just adopt this family as such, step into their world, find yourself rooting for them, and then with that, maybe those smaller moments, they actually resonate more loudly than they would otherwise. So there isn't a need to have a big, this is the big racist moment that shows you just how difficult this was. That shows you just how horrible these people's lives were. Yeah, it's I, and the best way I'll describe it is it was, uh, like we talk about establishing setting, or an environment, and I think that's what those scenes do. It it keeps the family at the center, but lets you know what kind of world they're in. And I think too not too often, but in films sometimes, like you said, there's the the big scene with with the racist, uh, whoever they may be, the the Sam Rockwell character, and in, in a lot of these movies, there's oh, that. God. Uh, like what if like, Sam Rockwell played the Will Patton role? <laughs> yeah. I love Sam Rockwell, but I think... Uh, so do I, but the, his choices of roles make me question some stuff. Yeah. Um, it just makes it a different movie, and one thing that's interesting is when you think about racism in general, and especially the way it presents itself now, and it has always, is sometimes the the microaggressions and the things of that nature are just as harmful and just as restrictive on someone feeling comfortable in a new environment so 
like like you said, they're the she... everyday things that can keep someone down, essentially. Exactly, but... and you he achieves his goal of letting you know sort of what kind of ideas and maybe ignorance they're up against in a in their daily lives without it being a a big like distracting scene that changes the type of movie that he set out to make it's just that was never going to be the focus and i think the subtlety and and also just giving an importance to those little things and showing that they are harmful because uh like it it doesn't always have to be the the big bad gesture it can be the little day-to-day things like you said that keep people down so i think he did that very subtly and very artfully and i thought it worked yeah, and there, there are other decisions I think we'll, we'll probably get to we'll leave a little bit later because they, they verge on spoilers that I just think are really interesting. Like, I mentioned it to you before we started. There's something I really liked and respond to this movie and yet I can't quite put my finger on why I responded so much. Um, what separates it from a lot of movies. But maybe it is just so many of the decisions or it's like, Hmm, even for the movie, this is, I would have expected it to go this way or to make that character act like this at that point. And it doesn't really do that. I don't know if that always makes some of its characters the most endearing, but it does paint something that is maybe a little bit more true to life. And I guess just more complicated like maybe that doesn't work for some people, but there are—I don't know—you could speak to your feeling. Like I'm not—I'm not saying this movie has a happy ending or a sad ending because we're not at the point where we're going to talk about spoilers. But as you are watching this movie progress, what kind of direction, what kind of ending did you find yourself beginning to anticipate? Um. Because I think the story sets up as in a lot of it, the tone of the movie, the way it looks, it's very warm and bright kind of colored, lots of sunny days. It's it's kind of prompting you in a kind of just, oh, the the movie literate part of my brain is kicking in now and saying, oh, well, this is going to lead one way. There's There's a lot of it that's very like traditional warm hollywood drama and it doesn't entirely ever fall into that because it's not that kind of movie i really think as i was watching it it, emotionally the feelings that it provokes out of you it's really a pendulum swinging back and forth between a few different emotions i mean at times i was incredibly stressed out (laughs) knowing their situations at times i was uh my heart was warmed as Sunja and David just finally started to bond. And he started to realize that even though he doesn't have what he thought of as a traditional grandma, he's still growing to have a fondness for her and her quirks. Um, So yeah, it was really all over the place and obviously um, sadness and uh, when certain things happen to certain characters and maybe have some medical issues. uh, And then just sometimes being annoyed that um, Jacob and Monica couldn't say the right things to one another at the right time to um, avoid going down a road they were going. So I think I I was swinging back and forth on a pendulum emotionally throughout the entire film, depending on who we were focused in on. But I I really was surprised by the ending, because even though it does have the 
the beats and the sheen of a classic Hollywood drama. Um, I thought it was going to go in a different direction than it did, um, where I think it ended up in more of a neutral place. Yeah, I th- I think that's very much fair. I mean, to to outline further some of the key elements of the story, so one part of it, and I guess in some ways the driving force of the story is Jacob Stephen Young's character basically just looking to make a life and make a living to support his family and trying to get this farm up and running, kind of off the ground. And the troubles he has with this land he's acquired, which, you know, other characters later talk about how, like, it's basically it's bad land that has driven other people at least kind of bankrupt, if not crazy. Like, trying to remember exactly now. Um, it hasn't done much for people who've previously tried to make something of this land, is my memory of it. There's a song by American Aquarium called Water in the Well about a farmer who uh, goes bankrupt and can't feed his family and he shoots himself. And it's implied that that happened wow. to some other characters. So that li- uh, that land uh, questionable to say the least. Okay, so that's that's one key driver of the story. But as I mentioned to begin with, I mean, we're really seeing this story through the eyes of David, played by Alan Kim a character which is based on Leotic Chung's own childhood. And in the case of the character, David has a heart condition that, I mean, we're just kind of introduced to intermittently throughout the film, without it ever being, here is the problem, and this is a grave thing. We see general concern, we see um, his mother with a stethoscope monitoring his heart rate. There's just... This whole general idea, we seem being warned not to run this kind of, I guess, very gentle prompting and essentially kind of building blocks for some big moments later and some very effective moments in terms of storytelling, so the most effective moments. So that sets up, I guess, these kind of two tracks of you know, the financial and then the personal. Um, And that is the main conflict of the movie. That is the main conflict that has Stephen Young's character and Hanye Ri's character, the mother and father, the husband and wife, kind of arguing throughout. It's it's part of why they moved to to Arkansas in the first place. It's also part of the reason why Monica wants to move back to California because... This is not a place where there's a sense of community. This is not a place where any of them seem to be kind of living happy, healthy, productive lives. The kind of life that, you know, logically would be to David's benefit. And there's also, you know, they're not that close to a hospital. They could be much closer to a hospital if they're in California. And I guess all this kind of coalesces to bring Sunja, the grandmother, to America and into the world because they are so isolated and because there there needs to be someone there to help with the kids and I think part of the idea is also someone that's kind of there just for any kind of company or social experience for Monica given you know 
Jacob zoomed them to the middle of nowhere, and it's like, yeah, I've got a lot of work to do to try and get this this land producing anything at all. And with that, the the movie really takes off. That's where the comedy of the movie, and I would certainly think, you know, good chunk of act two of this movie is very, very funny. It has lots of very charming and funny moments um, where David and Anya, his sister, both, like, really, really come to the fore. Um, and in Alan Kim and uh, Noel K. Cho, they're just incredible performers. Like, really, really rare for child actors. Alan Kim in particular, I mean, obviously has become this viral sensation because he's incredible. I don't know when Alan Kim first landed on your radar. Do you know or can you remember? It was the acceptance speech where he just... Oh, that's... See, this is why you're the worst, Andrew. Like that, well, that's that was not the only the game. Well, I I'm gonna put that as the the biggest reason. Uh, Alan Kim landed on my radar. I knew I knew about this film from quite a while out, like probably two two and a half years out was my first sense of the movie. But my first introduction to Alan Kim was when it premiered at Sundance. Have you seen Alan Kim Sundance? You know, outfit. Have you seen him? He showed up to Sundance and charmed the world. I have not. I'll get on this while you're talking. You need, you need to Google it right now. Um, there were just these incredible kind of interviews with the whole cast, um, where basically, I have seen this. It, so, okay, good. So I'm not the worst. Maybe, well, you're not the worst. Maybe close, but not the worst. Um, but Alan came dressed basically as Woody from Toy Story shows up to Sundance, the movie gets lots of great reviews, really strong response, and he kind of starts to steal people's hearts. Now, I don't know if how much that worked on someone like me who knew exactly who the kid was and had started to like be exposed to his personality off the screen before seeing the movie, but it carries over into the movie in a very real way that is also, like, the acting he's doing is incredible. Like, he isn't just, oh, he's the, this funny, kind of charming kid. No, he's really acting. Um, he is, I guess, he's a dual-language speaker, although it seems like he primarily speaks English in his day-to-day. Here he is mostly speaking Korean throughout the course of this movie. And it's just kind of incredible. Um, he's carrying the full emotional weight of the movie. He's carrying the movie on his shoulders. I mean, it's one thing to write this movie and to think, oh, this is a great approach that I get to explore this kind of story. And it is. But then actually finding a kid who can carry it off and not just make it good, but make it as good as this. Like, the odds of it are like, I don't know, one in a million. Um I'm, I just continue to be so impressed every time I I think of this movie, anytime I see a clip, or I'm sure it will be the case again when I rewatch it, that there was a performance as good as this anchoring the movie from a six, seven, eight-year-old kid. Like, that's the kind of... I think he was probably six when he shot this. That can't be right. I, I think you're in the ballpark. I was blown away by his comedic seven, timing. Seven, yeah. Wow. So, 
I I uh I once hunted a turkey when I was seven, but no wait I was nine. Sorry. Uh, see I ain't shit. Alan Kim <laughs> is kicking my ass. But anyway, I was I was blown away by his comedic timing. There's a point where uh Sunja is telling him that he's pretty and making fun of him. Yeah. And he goes, I'm not pretty, I'm good looking, and storms off. And I, I thought that was just hysterical. And yet, any, anytime he's on sh- on screen, you're just incredibly happy to see what he's going to do next. And he's an incredibly charming presence. And um, yeah, a- Alan Kim, I, I, was he nominated for, did he get a Best Supporting Actor nom? No, he didn't, no. Okay. Uh, hashtag cancel the Oscars, but anyway. Well, I mean... He should be in the lead category. He is, oh yeah, like he is definitely the lead in this movie. It's one of the things. I mean, Stephen Young is great. I don't respond to Stephen Young's character in the way that I think a lot of people have. He's a tough guy to root for. I think as much as like there's there's an easy you know he's doing. He's doing what's best for his family. He just wants to succeed for his family. There, there's also a counter argument to be heard to that. Um, in terms of we could talk about some details of, from the movie. That is true, but it's also not true. Now, I don't know. It just it doesn't speak to me in the same way. I'm I'm cool with it. I'm fine with it because Stephen Young should have been getting this kind of recognition for burning, but like. That is a that is one of the most interesting parts of the movie to me is that character and the dynamics. I think that is one of the place where it makes decisions that you're like, oh, okay, really, oh, okay. Even at these crucial emotional points late in the movie, there are things where I've found kind of tough to reconcile with. Oh, just that being like this perfect movie, movified kind of likable character. Which is great. I don't really want that, but I've just found the way he's being propelled as a lead to be weird because it just seems like maybe people have gone, ah, oh, we can't call a kid the lead, so let's just call, you know, the adult with the next most screen time. Whether that's even Stephen Young, though, I'm curious. Like, I would think uh, Yun Jung would be pretty close in terms of screen time, and probably steal some more scenes. But what are your thoughts on that, as someone who hasn't seen Burning? Um, another reason why you might be the worst. That one's fair, what, yes. What are your thoughts on... Basically, Stevie Jones' performance is great, but I just... I'm. It's very, very different in a way that's interesting, and I, I haven't necessarily always found the conversation around it to cover and kind of hit on some of the things that I feel when I watch that character in the movie. The only criticism I would have is swapping or swapping him to supporting actor and having Alan Kim get a best actor nomination. That's the only place my critique lies with anything like that because I think that story arc and his performance spoke to me as much as anything in the film and landed with me very successfully and I think Seeing most everything, everything through David Allen Kim's eyes as a child, and then tying that back together with everything that's that's going on with Jacob, is really what makes it work. Because I think I think about when you're a kid, especially a little kid, it's like you you view your parents as people that exist 
just <laughs> just because you exist to like keep you alive and you know the world is centered around you and that's kind of the way you almost imagine them you don't imagine them as is fully realized people with goals and thoughts and emotions and things they want to accomplish. And so that's kind of how like you view your parents as a kid. You almost view them as something above like a human being with flaws. And then when it comes to Jacob and Monica, when, when you get married, when you have kids, you don't stop becoming a person. And even though your primary goal in life is to do everything you can to create a better world from them, you still have the same human traits that you've always had selfishness, longing and uh, wanting something more listlessness and the ability to be a, a selfish jerk from time to time. And I think that's what Jacob does. He is selfish in this movie. He wants to have the successful farm because, um, because he says that he wants to create a better life for his family. And that's true. But as I was watching this, this is going to sound insane. It reminded me of Breaking Bad. There's a point where Walter White sure. is on the on okay. the phone with Skyler. Yeah. And he says, I did it for me. I did it because I, I yeah. want it. It made I, me feel I like good. That. That's, that's clarifying sense for me. You're right. Yeah. And so there, it's, there's a point And also. Um, hmm. You did know to me, we were talking just before, that you think there's something that I could relate to in this. I'm now thinking about this, I'm like, yeah, hmm, what does that say? But there is a point where he is just so consumed in this that he doesn't want to let it beat him. Yeah. But he really does let that get to the point where, you know, well, <laughs> you can lose everything here um, just for this thing that is, let's be honest, kind of insane. Um... Can I can I but say yeah, another... your your Breaking Bad point is a good one. I like that. Uh, I'll I'll reference another pop culture thing. Tie it back to uh, a band I referenced earlier. There's a line of one of their new songs that says, "I'm the kind of guy that hits rock bottom, laughs, and asks you for a shovel." And that's Stephen Union in this movie with the way his dogged pursuit of having a successful you know vegetable business putting him at odds with his family and risking losing the, the people that he claims he's doing it for. So I just love that internal and external struggle because it's real as fuck because these are things that happen yeah. every, every day. And so while I don't necessarily find that character to be someone I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for the success of the family because mm -hmm. I want to make sure David can get whatever medical care he needs for his heart. And I want to make sure grandma is so healthy and everything. I don't know. I just, I just find that struggle and the, like pushing the family to a breaking point and seeing if they break, I find to be a very just interesting story, especially when it's wrapped up in this unique perspective. Um, uh, like a, a story being told and getting nominated for an Oscar about uh, Korean immigrants. It's just something that's, that's so cool to me and wrapping it in the story of a family drama. I mean, we have Parasite, uh, which was obviously based in, in South Korea, so not quite the same story, but having... Two years in a row, Korean language films be given this platform is really cool, and I love that that this one is also like different. It's an American less, movie, right? It's, a, it's an, Ameri that's an American American too. It's like that's they've they've really and I did. It's a, one of the interesting things in the movie as well, which you mentioned earlier, um, like the way that David speaks about his grandmother, and she's not. He wants a grandma who like bakes cookies and I can't remember. Maybe it's like read stories and things like that. It's like, yeah, 
he he's basically an American kid. Like that's they've they've lived in California. We don't have exact kind of timelines, but a lot of I guess just the way the kids behave and speak and everything would lead us to believe, oh well, you know, they are here basically from they were born. Like they are American kids. And that's part of, I guess, the kind of the odd couple dynamic that then it comes into play when the grandma comes over and it's like, well, no, she's not their vision of what that's supposed to be because they are now positioned on the side of the coin where, you know, Korean is something uttered to them, which again, like really kind of interesting and bold choice, a really sophisticated um, decision and kind of move to make with a script. But one then that is also because of the quality of the performers involved carried out to perfection on screen. Um, I, Like that's, that's really impressive. Going back to Alan Kim and the, the Stephen Yeun, Alan Kim, who's the lead and what way that's worked down. Like, I mean, I, I don't think he has been recognized individually by any critic's body for any other, there's one critic's body that has recognized him individually for something that wasn't, you know, the kids category. So there's been critics choice. He won like a best youth performer. He's won that in kind of, various critics associations critic circle kind of awards the only nomination he's got just straight acting nomination though was best supporting actor at the baftas and interestingly steven yun wasn't nominated in either supporting or best actor at the baftas but i i just look it's the minari is an awards piece is complicated because the golden globes are dumb and they're like, oh, this is a Korean movie, so it's in best foreign language, and, you know, it's not going to be anywhere else, really. Um, it's not going to be in any kind of best picture mix. Like, all that stuff, we don't need to get into it. Um, the Hollywood foreign press is a waste of our time, really, to talk about. But it's, to me, one, it feels like one of the best performances of the year hasn't got the credit and attention it deserves, really, in a lot of ways. And also that a lot of award shows have just missed out on just the easiest of like opportunities for publicity and for like clips online, which is what, you know, happens at the Critics Choice Award. Not necessarily I'm crying. I don't want them to get overwhelmed and upset every time. That wouldn't be fun. Even that, I mean, it's a great clip. It's really charming. But I was also a little uncomfortable with maybe kids this young really shouldn't be put in these kind of positions. But at the same time, like, this is a kid who his work this year was really, like, in the mix and on a par. I, I'll be curious, but maybe revisit this next week when we go through some of the Oscar categories. It's likely to be something where we're like, well, is Alan Kim better than that person? Like, I, I think there were places for him, and it's kind of surprising that that didn't ultimately happen. Um, other performances, though, that kind of did happen for... Um, I guess outside of Stephen Yeun, most no- most notably uh, Yoon Yoo Jung, who I think is probably going to win the Oscar. She's probably going to win Best Supporting Actress. Um, she won the BAFTA on Saturday night and has generally been recognized most places where you would expect her to be and has seemed to get the most kind of momentum. Um, an actress who is certainly renowned in Korea, who has worked in the films of Hong Sang-soo, um, 
and just kind of comes into the movie and as much as anyone could do when Alan Kim is the star, steals the movie for large portions and really gives the kind of the childlike emotional heart. Like she brings out the most childlike behavior from the kids. One, because her character is kind of incredibly childish. Um, and also because of how the story unfolds for her and how I guess the kids are exposed to that and what it, what it opens up for them. Yeah. I, I don't want to say she's my favorite performance in the movie because I still think that comes back down on Kim, but yeah, I, I forgot to to add her role in when I was talking about the dynamics and between uh, David and Jacob and how their stories kind of connect to one another. But where David's story <laughs> really comes into play is with with Sunja and um, and we get some of our funniest moments in the film. I think uh, the little bits like her obs- she becomes obsessed with a wrestling. Uh, despite the <laughs> violence, she seems to be concerned that someone's gonna get killed. Uh, she really loves Mountain Dew so much so that he's able to prank her by uh, peeing in uh, a glass, which was uh, another bit that that kind of humor normally would not lame with me, but uh, it was really good. And I think one of the times where I think, to your point, the childlike emotional heart of the film really like hit home for me was when they're trying to punish him for that. And she's just like, no, don't do it. Just don't do it again. And I, I just found that hilarious <laughs> for some reason. It was uh, fantastic. It's really funny. Uh, yeah. She's, she's great. And also later in the film presides some of the most, uh, the saddest moments of the film. And one of the things that pushes the, the family up, up to a breaking point among other things. But yeah, um, a, a very deserving winner. If it comes into play, will she be, our picks, one of our picks next week. I don't know. You'll have to tune in to find out. Listen, you were ready to pick so many of these categories like three months ago. You were like, I've seen one movie, lock it in. That person is going to win. <laughs> and I warned you, but we're going to, we're in very different territory come next week. Andrew has done his homework and we'll see how he feels about all of it now. Hashtag justice for Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, it's worth mentioning Hanye Rhee is also great as as the mother. I mean, just the performances across the board are really kind of impeccable. Um, one other thing that I, I really want to kind of flag up is Emil Masseri's score, which to me is one of the very, very best scores of the year. Um, really, really special. He first, I think, came on my radar. He composed the score for The Last Black Man in San Francisco last year. And his music for this film just does a, a really good job of tying it all together. And it's it's a case where I guess a composer is leaning slightly on, you know, scoring to what you're seeing on the screen in a way that is playing with the emotions just a little bit more. But it never manages to just take it too far where it becomes kind of too twee or something that 
kind of takes you out of the movie. I think it's perfectly judged. The score is used just at the right moments. It's not kind of overpowering. And when the film does kind of reach its crescendo and things really peak, it just as much as the story is, the directing, and certainly the performances, I think Emil Masseri's score really, really just kind of comes to the fore, takes center stage, and makes the movie a big part of what it was. I don't know if I've seen too much or heard too much kind of talk about the score, really, but it, it was one of the most striking things from the first time I watched it, and I rewatch it stood out even more. Just a really, really exceptional uh, score for this movie. At this point, it's probably appropriate to put up a, something of a spoiler warning, because... We need to talk a little bit more specifically about some elements towards the end of this movie. Um, so if you haven't seen Minari, please stop and do it now. Like, David Dunn 21, if you, I know you like being... Uh, you've just come into my head here, so I'm going to do what Andrew did before. Watch this movie. There's no reason for you not to watch this movie. This is one that, you know, you sit down with the whole family if you want to watch this movie. Great guy. So... David's heart, Andrew. David's heart leads to the most, I don't know, heartwarming, heart-stopping moments of this movie. Um, Which is in a nice kind of crescendo of everything coming together, you know, as only the movies can do, Andrew. After the family have gone to Dallas, Houston. I believe the second Oklahoma. time it was Oklahoma City. Yes, correct. Um, after they've gone to Oklahoma City to go to the hospital, um, to then go and visit an Asian goods store where he brings some of his selection of vegetables, sees if he can do any kind of deal with the owner. They return home to be greeted by a blaze. The whole kind of, I don't know, shed storage space for all of his stock that he now has a deal for is up in flames because the grandmother, who... Again, this is the spoiler section, so I shouldn't explain this to people like they don't know. You've all watched it if you're still listening. I trust. So you know that she has a stroke of some sort earlier in the movie. At this point, she's struggling. She tries to take on a bit more than she could, which is um, burning the garbage in the yard. Accidentally sets fire to everything. So, Stephen Young. He's straight in. No surprise. In keeping with his character, he sees flames. His family are there by his side. His reaction is, I'm going into the flames to save the vegetables. Um, Hanye Ri plays the butter. She ultimately follows, um, showing her devotion to her husband. And that leaves the two kids with the grandmother who is distraught, distressed, and who ultimately turns and like kind of just flees the scene 
takes off in the middle of the night um, in the middle of nowhere down this country road. And instincts take over for David and Alan Kim takes off. He starts running, his little heart pounding. And look, there's nothing like... We talk with some of the really kind of subtle and intelligent choices the movie makes throughout. Like, this is pure just playing your heartstrings. And it does it very, very well. And I love this moment. I love this scene. I, I think it's a, a really kind of perfect finale to this movie and to what it's built with the characters and what it's built with its story throughout. Yeah, you've just made me emotional, Adam, um, just recounting that scene. I think the whole sequence leading up to that point is just really effective for me. I mean, we have the the brief moment of triumph for, for Jacob as he's selling his produce, but then we ha- have the moment of heartbreak where it's said that, you know, essentially Monica's probably going to take the kids and soon John and leave, and you're left there with your vegetables. And then when he's lost everything, he realizes that the, his family was the only thing that matters. If you don't have anything to celebrate these successes with, you are just left with a shed full of vegetables. And what what is life without the people that you care about the most? And I think while while the movie ends with that sort of, I won't call it a reconciliation, but just like a reawakening for Jacob that his wife and his children are what he's doing all this for, it also culminates also with that scene that you mentioned where David, who at one point in the film was scared of Sunja, wasn't really embracing her as his grandmother as he expected her, is racing to her rescue, sprinting, putting himself in danger essentially. But even though we learned his heart condition is improving, I don't know. It's just like a, it's such important, important not to gloss over that because I think this is one of the things where for you and I, who are not Korean nor are we Korean speakers. You go into this movie, it's called Minari. It's like, cool, I've no idea what that is. No idea what that means. Here I am. And when Soonja comes over from Korea in the movie and when the kids are confronted with this, you know, strange grandmother who's not like how they imagined that, one of the things that she talks about, they go down to like a creek, I guess, of some sort. And, um, she talks about, you know, oh, this would be a perfect plant, a perfect place to plant Minari, to grow Minari, which is a kind of Korean herb, I guess. Um, known for its kind of purifying qualities. So they plant it on the side of the water, the water that, I guess, supplies the well to they drink from. And the hole in David's heart, which is what we learn is the issue, um, starts to close up and heal. Um, and so it's very just, I look, the goal of any movie is, yeah, okay, what are your ideas and what is your plot being all along? And, you know, let's tie all that together and create something that's satisfying. But it's very difficult to actually do that, and it doesn't happen very often. Where I think in this case, Lee Isaac Chung really does a great job at that, at tying all of the details together in a way that does feel really, really satisfying for the audience, and um, but also informs the story. And I mean, 
it where it ends the thing that we couldn't get into when we were talking about Stephen Young's character earlier and some of the issues with it. It does give him the moment of perspective. It takes him basically losing everything and I guess having to start again um, to some extent. But the movie does finish with him like basically embracing his family and back back at one with his family where just a few hours earlier, sure, he was winning on this kind of you know personal goal level and he was achieving what he wanted to achieve financially or at least had the prospects of doing that but the cost of what he was losing was obviously so much greater in terms of family so it does it gives him that perspective and it rounds out the character it just kind of the movie doesn't blink for much longer than most movies would with that it really it pushes that right to the end for that character and for the family overall um but i i think just a great great ending to the movie and one of my favorite scenes of any movie of the year is without doubt david running after sunja and blocking her path in the middle of the road yeah i i think it is something that could have come across as heavy-handed or cheesy it's thematically with the minari as it relates to the family and we just we get that mm, powerful moment of him running and then we get the visual of them all just exhausted asleep on the floor and then we get the what i'll call a epilogue of of david and um jacob going to to find a new place to build the well it's something that could seem very hollywood or over the top but it just all works so well it's powerful yet subtle and just really emotionally resonant as opposed to some other movies that have been nominated for oscars i think one of the things to finish on here because it's usually one of the things we start on is to talk a little bit about lee isaac chung and I don't have a lot to say here, which is interesting because usually at this point, um, I will have made Andrew do homework in addition to the homework and you'll have had to go back into a filmmaker's catalog and get a sense of who they are. I haven't been able to do that even with Lee Isaac Chung. His earlier movies are unavailable as far as i can see they're not streaming anywhere i haven't been able to find them on youtube or vimeo or anything like that they just don't seem to be out there i would guess that will change very soon but he's had a fascinating path as a filmmaker so far i mean his debut um munyarangabo was i'm reading the wikipedia page here Andrew. the first narrative feature film in the kinyarwanda language um, it was shot in Rwanda, and it was, I think, about the Rwandan genocide. Um, that came out in 2007. Um, and, like, prior to this, and things are changing from have already changed to things that have been announced, um, he's doing a live-action remake of the acclaimed anime film Your Name, um, next, which will give him big budget. I'm pretty sure MGM are producing it. Um, so real kind of leveling up. But more recently, he has been working at the University of Utah. He's been basically a film lecturer. So a really, really different path to what we're used to when we have these kind of conversations. And even that only adds to the underdog story of this movie 
really maybe more than any other. Like I think a lot of that is obviously going to go to Nomadland. The Nomadland is now one of the front runners at the Oscars, but I mean Nomadland was bought by Fox Searchlight and got a Hulu release. And in a relative sense, you know, A24, as much as they are one of the more powerful independents, they are still an independent. Plan B, they may have Brad Pitt kind of making choices and contributing along with someone like Dee Dee Gardner, uh, Jeremy Kleiner, who are industry powerhouses now. They are still an independent company. And this is an independent movie by a filmmaker who, someone like me, was really into movies, just had no knowledge of before this. And it is largely in Korean. And, I mean, outside of Stephen Yeun, Will Patton too, I think most American viewers just aren't going to be familiar with the, the other people in this at all. <laughs> um, like, I don't know if I'd ever seen Hanye Ri in a movie. I... I've seen uh, Yoon Yoo Jung in two movies, I think. Yeah, I recently saw her in Beast Clawing Straws, and I saw her in one of uh, Hong Sang Soo's most famous and possibly his best movie, which is Right Now, Wrong Then. Like, and that's not, there's not tons and tons of people who are going to become aware of Minari being like, oh yeah, that's she's always in Hong Sang Su's movies. So this is kind of the real underdog heading into next week. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say it now. We'll obviously talk about this more next week. I think this is this is a live underdog. I think this this movie is coming in with a chance. And we'll make our picks and everything next week, but I wouldn't be shocked if Minari kind of punches above its weight, at least in terms of what the perception was going into Oscar night. I wouldn't be entirely shocked if it actually managed to go and take best picture. Interesting. Uh, you know, you'd love to see it. Things you'd love to see that. Um, Lee, I should have said that though. The trial of the Chicago Seven is a lock for best picture. Are you serious right now? <laughs> uh, it's probably the second most likely movie to win it. And now that I've said that, now that I've given myself a moment to just imagine the the almost fantasy, um, which two years in a row, the, and the way the Oscars does this is, you know, in recent years, particularly as they've diversified and increased the size of the voting pool dramatically it's kind of got a split personality where one year you're like what a great winner what a great look at these guys these guys know movies and then the other year it's like green book or even a movie that is nowhere near as bad i don't think but shape of water was not very popular you know so it's kind of a one I don't know if I want to say one for them, one for us, because I don't know who the them and us are in this. But if that is the pattern, we're now two years on from Green Book, and there's only one way that that would go. If Trial of the Chicago 7 wins Best Picture, we are doing our top 10 list with me drinking a bottle of Cabernet straight out of the bottle. Why? Why? You don't need to. It's not going to be in spoiler, I think for our top 10 lists, but Trial of the Chicago 7 is not gonna, I'm not even, 
I don't think it will be mentioned. The only chance it has of being mentioned is that will be our first post Oscars podcast if it's won Best Picture. Yeah, I was just going to think about how I could... If it doesn't get mentioned... Rant my then. true feelings. Um, back to your original point before we get out of here, I will say that Stephen Yoon and Will Patton were the only two people that I was familiar with in this film. Stephen Yoon, because I'm a bad person, I, I had not seen Burning, so it wasn't from Burning. Walking, Walking Dead, right? It was from the first few seasons of The Walking Dead, which is not a good show. And also from a sketch from Tim Robinson's sketch comedy show, I Think You Should Leave. Um, oh, I didn't know he was in that. Yeah, and a, and a particularly absurd sketch. That is a very much not for Adam show. I I would. Yeah, think. I I did try. I tried, and everyone seems to love it. I was like, oh, maybe this is like. I I heard people I like and trust their taste and things for quite a while. They're like, oh, Nathan for you is amazing, and I've never watched Nathan for you. And I was like, I eventually did it, and I was like, this is just one of the best, the best things around. This is hilarious. It's just, it's incredible. And I did have that whole thing where it was happening again. I'm like, maybe this is just another Nathan for you. And I, I watched like 10 minutes. I was like, no, this isn't Nathan for you. Absurdist comedy. But that's a personal taste thing. Yes. Uh, also, I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask you that I should have asked you earlier, I meant to. Um, the Will Patton performance. Thoughts. Because yes. he's doing a lot. I mean, absurdist comedy. <laughs> I think I think it works. The kind of like the jam jar glasses he has and what they do to his eyes is really interesting and effective. Um, I mean, that is also like there's a way where you can just gloss over that character and it's like, yeah, you know, local crazy guy kind of helps out and per- comes and performs exorcisms when they're needed. Um, but there's also like I I think and knowing the kind of background that Lee Isaac Chung has as well, I think there's probably a lot more going on, a lot of thought into specifically, you know, that guy's deal and like the fact that he carries a cross on Sunday. Um, he's just like walking for miles carrying a cross, just like in the middle of Arkansas in the 1980s. Um, yeah. Really great performance. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, he's certainly, like, performing. He, he's definitely performing. He's going for it where, where I think if it doesn't work, it goes very poorly. And some may argue that it did, but I think... I don't I don't think anyone's argued, though. I think okay, people good. have generally been charmed by good. his performance. I was very charmed. You know, Will, Will Patton has always seemed like b-side ed harris in a lot of his roles but i think you know this was really him stepping up to the plate and hitting a homer he's an actor that i don't think i've seen very many of his movies at all i'm familiar i was trying to think when it when it came to this i was like what movies and i have seen some the place i have maybe seen him most is in the movies of kelly reichard um he's in meeks cut off he's in wendy and lucy um I think he might be an American honey. He was, yep. I haven't seen that yet um, um, for reasons that you'll get mad at me for, but anyway. I can't... But, like, I, his big movies as such, not things I've seen. Armageddon, like, No Way Out. Yeah, Remember the Titans. Like, these are not the kind of movies. 
sure, maybe I'll see them eventually. I see most things eventually, but I, I haven't. So um, there's people, I know you commented when you watched the first, you're like, oh, Will Patton. And I had another friend who did the same thing. I'm like, what am I, what am I missing? How have I not? Like, yeah, it's Will Patton, but I didn't have the same um, reaction to that that I think a lot of people seem to have. But he's he's doing a lot and doing it successfully. One of these days, somehow, your future child will become obsessed with American football. And I'll send him a Denver Broncos jersey as well as a Blu-ray of Remember the Titans. And then you can watch it. I've got Broncos jerseys covered. I've got, I've got enough of them. Thank you for the kind offer, but we don't need to. I'll be... I had my dalliance with that sport, and it's not worth anyone's time. So, don't think we'll have to worry about it. But thanks for the offer. <laughs> Any final thoughts? <laughs> no, I will take my rejection in stride, and uh, no final thoughts other than to your comment about Minari will be a dark horse to potentially come in and, and steal a best picture win. And I think it's, it's, it's worthy. I think it arguably should have gotten more recognition and more nominations in that. Adam, Adam. It is just good. It's nominated though. I will say, because like, this is the fact that it became a foregone conclusion that it would get nominated. The fact that it even could be like, Oh, this could be a dark horse. If there's a surprise, like um, even in like the last couple of years, like, a movie like this getting nominated is not a foregone conclusion at all. It's the furthest thing from that. Like, this is more surprising as a nomination to me than Parasite. Yeah. I, I, like, I th- Bong Joon-ho is like a established international auteur making a film that has kind of universal themes, whether everyone who watched it actually got them or not, um, or read them from the perspective that they were being presented. Um, and is also like just, a really thrilling movie. I kind of get how that happens. This is this is something entirely different, and I I don't even think like it's the difference. Chloe Zhao may not be a household name, but like now you've seen the writer, for example, and the writer did get quite a lot of buzz. People knew who she was when it came to Nomadland, and I would guess a large swathe of Academy members even will have seen the writer and have had some awareness i just don't think that will be the same for lee isaac chung so the fact that this movie's got there is great and it probably does speak to the power 824 have and the power plan b have and i guess their ability to put their logos on something and to push it in front of the right people and build up some momentum um probably benefited from the weird year as well um more than most because Let's face it, it could easily have been pushed out by something like what if Hillbilly LG wasn't a train wreck? You know? That's the kind of movie that there'd be a lot of people who would have voted for much e- easier than this one. And that will be, that's a really kind of fascinating comparison in terms of depictions of rural America. Um, I look forward to your thoughts, Andrew. I You're intent on doing it to yourself i just want that clear you are doing it to yourself i'm not making you do it um but next week you might have some stuff to say when we get to talking best actress what if it really moves me i don't think that's gonna happen i think you're gonna be the angriest person i've come across uh when it comes to reception to hillbilly algae so 
Well, that's if that's not a tease for y'all to come back next week, I don't know what is. Adam and I have reined ourselves in, and we've given you some, you know, bite-sized episodes. But the next, the next few are going to be back to us uh, fully loading the bases and hitting some grand slams. I think so. Next one, I think, could be longish. The one after that, there's historical precedent. Um, it's gonna be long. We might have a festival. <laughs> it's gonna be like you know, take a couple of days off work just to listen to the podcast uh, is a possibility. Um, so <laughs> that to look forward. That's how you sell podcasts to people, right? Um, thanks again to all of you for listening. You can get us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at Captured on Cell. And if you do like listening to Andrew and I talk movies, make sure you rate and subscribe us wherever you're getting your podcasts. Leave a review. Rate and subscribe us. That doesn't make sense, Andrew. Rate and review us was really what I wanted to say. Um, but yeah, we'd be we'd be grateful. But only do it if they're nice. This is always my rule when encouraging this. Only do it if they're nice. If you sign up for our non-existent Patreon for $2 a month, I will draw you a crude picture. Not crude, but like not crude, but like poorly drawn is what I mean. Picture of a pig yeah, named, okay. named, named Oinky and uh, mail it to you and you can put it on your wall. And uh, yeah. Was this the babe imposter? Uh, that was Gordy. Oinky, Oinky oh, is okay. uh, my own creation. It's you know, an idea for a comic oh. book I, I have. Actually, it's just a doodle I drew on a note for my wow. should Wow. Should we really stop the podcast now or do you want to... Is this IP too valuable to just throw out there like this? This yeah. is for pitch meetings. I don't want Marvel to get ahead of themselves <laughs> and just like take it because they might. You know, if you just you don't say it's not a comic book idea, because if you say that loud enough, someone's going to knock on your door and offer you a check for, you know, some streamer is going to be like, great, here's your money. I'm one step closer to buying Sligo Rovers but living in Dublin and being a guy that just comes into games on game day and everyone hates the owner because I critique everything when I'm there and then I helicopter this back is, to Dublin. This is the most Ted Lassoed view of, of European football I've ever, I've ever heard. And on that note, thanks again to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week to go through the Oscar categories. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Adam.